it's really weird because like now we're in the same room as each other again like it's not even like we had to like isolate or anything like that it's just like it's just nice it is nice yeah, it's just nice you know, this like, is the fun part this yeah. is where we get to drink and talk about exactly yeah yeah exactly yeah well better like just uh, I, don't know, just... I can be your hero baby <laughs> love you mate um should we start a fucking podcast yeah let's start yeah, a fucking podcast start. bro let's do it Welcome back, loyal subjects, to Not The Princes with your hosts Will and Harry. Today, we are asking listeners to cast their minds back to a gentler time in 2007, the year that saw the release of Spider-Man 3 and Hot Fuzz, when Avril Lavigne released Girlfriend, she did not release Girlfriend, she in did, 2007. What a You're tune. kidding me. <laughs> and the plain white tees committed crimes against humanity with Hey There Delilah, and Steve Jobs touched the stage to announce the very first iPhone. Whilst these are all events worthy of discussion, this evening we will be discussing the first installment of Bioware's sci-fi trilogy, Mass Effect. Originally an exclusive for the Xbox 360 and later ported to the PC in 2008 and the PlayStation 3 in 2012, Mass Effect has won the hearts of many devoted fans that still remember it fondly all these years later, warts and all. More importantly, it received a release this year as part of the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, a HD port of the original trilogy which let players explore the sci-fi classic all over again. For the sake of time, if nothing else, we will be restricting the discussion today to the first Mass Effect, although the differences between the first installment and its sequels is pronounced, and is certainly something worth of discussion at another time. I am Will, and this is my favourite podcast on the Citadel, and with me is my confidant and full-time party member, Harry. How are you doing, Harry? Oh, I'm doing really well, Will. It's been uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks. Um, for those that are listening, if you don't know, outside of my role as a super serious game reviewer, uh, I work in the energy industry, and if you live in the UK, you know that that's been a shit show over the last few weeks, so I've been super, super busy. Uh, but as you know, I, I came out of a meeting this afternoon with Al Gore, which, oh, was, uh, yeah. which was interesting. So uh, yeah, it's been it's been a busy few weeks, but uh, interesting. How about yourself, mate? Yeah, it's been a it's been a busy few weeks for me as well. If I, if everyone else doesn't know this as well, because I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, I recently took on a assistant manager position uh, in a couple of bars in the city. Uh, so it's been quite a quite an interesting time for me. And uh, obviously, like finding time to write the podcast has been quite difficult. So this is actually Harry's first time writing the podcast. A little round of applause for Harry. We're all really proud of you, Harry. And it can is... we get a um, clapping audio file added? Uh, yeah, way? sure, sure, sure. There it is. And if it's not there, then it's just a really weird audio gap. Um, but yeah, so uh, tell me, tell me, what have you been playing, Harry? Well, um, well, if you cast your mind back to some of our previous episodes. Some of you may remember Will encouraging me to play a uh, game called Hades, which was a 2018 release in early access, but recently has gained mm. some acclaim uh, due to its console port, yeah, particularly yeah, on the PS5. Yeah, 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 it ain't that big, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but I've been. This has been a game that's been recommended to me by Will and by other people, and I've been uh, for some reason unwilling to play, but have recently spent a grand total of twenty pounds on. And it's a fucking good game. Oh, it's so good. It's man. so good. I've had so much fun. It's the perfect balance uh, of a sort of a post-work five o'clock play between actually needing my attention to some degree of skill and also allowing me to switch off and escape into the beautifully crafted world of the Greek underworld, which has been really cool. Oh, nice. 
What about yourself? What have you been playing lately? Uh, actually, I finally got off the... Well, I mean, I, I don't know if I talked about it on the last podcast, but I haven't been playing Yakuza as much recently because I've been trying to get out of it because I, I played too much of it quite quickly. Uh, obviously, I have been playing Mass Effect, but more importantly, uh, I finally got a copy of Sekiro and I finally decided to uh, nut up and uh, try and go for a hard game for once. And my fucking God, do I regret it. He's fucking hard, but like not like Dark Souls or Bloodborne hard. Mm. Um, there, it's a different kind of game. And a friend of mine, Jack, he's also he's always been telling me, you know, like it's not the same thing, but obviously give it a try having way more fun with it than Bloodborne which is I understand one of the greatest games apparently that's uh, ever been conceived but I, I maybe again maybe it's just one of the things I don't get but to me Sekiro really goddamn fun yeah I yeah. mean there's, there's a whole like episode that we could do there on the, the theme of Bloodborne and Dark Souls generally but I think Bloodborne in particular about just because it's really fucking hard doesn't mean it's a good game. No, that's true. That's true. I don't think difficulty, like, I mean, the idea that you've, like, overcome this game in particular, you know, I mean, I mean, arguably, you got to, like, talk about is the game designed to be hard or is it also, like, designed to be broken? And there's something there that I'm already, I'm already thinking about in retrospect now and I've already pissed off a lot of people even <laughs> just saying that, you know, it's like, I'll just get good. Uh, I can't get good. I'm terrible at video games. It's a good thing do, we do a podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> Play to your strengths, right? Yeah. Exactly. But I, uh, for, as far as I understand, it's Souls-like in the sense that you battle relatively small-level minions or mobs, and then you you go on to a large-scale boss. Am I right in saying yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. But it's a lot more sort of story-driven. So if you know like Dark Souls and all that sort of stuff, it's uh it's quite light on story. And the lore is there if you want to explore it. And it's the same with Bloodborne. You know, it's a bit it sort of just throws you in straight away. And Sekiro is also one of those games, but it does put its uh it does definitely like sort of like show its cards and say. You know, we are also here to actually like try and tell a story for once and uh, I don't know if it's like something that from soft from software are a bit um like so sort of, like shaky on but personally so far I'm actually finding it really fun good I'm really glad I mean a bit of a disclaimer here for for my criticism in bloodborne in the sense that one of the reasons why I critique it is I was shit at it <laughs> uh, I really sucked at that game I played a little bit of souls 3 briefly and I enjoyed it kinda but then I played bloodborne and I just I just fucking suck at that game man mm. um so it, it's not something that it's like a bad relationship I don't yeah. want to go back to it the only thing I really get from my like, bloodborne is actually that just one line when you like knock on someone's door and she goes oh what a terrible night to be out on the hunt <laughs> or something like that oh god hello sir have you got a bowl of gravel for me <laughs> yeah a bowl of black soup <laughs> now before we go off on a tangent here discussing various Souls-like games and actually mm. in previous podcasts I banned us from using the phrase Souls-like yeah we can't do so that overused. right so scrap that entire fucking section <laughs> Will why don't you tell us a little bit about the background of Mass Effect oh fantastic sounds good So, Bioware formed in 1995 as a mixture of professional game developers and medical doctors who worked on small, independent titles as a hobby. Although they had moderate success in the role-playing market, future partnerships with titans like EA and LucasArts would drive the studio to new heights. In 2004, following the release of another of Bioware's sci-fi classics, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, tentative uh, placement for an episode there, <laughs> the team started uh, pre-production on Mass Effect. Being used to developing for the Xbox, the team decided early on that they wanted to continue continue their relationship with Microsoft and chose the Xbox 360 to be the mantle for their new space opera. For those of you who are into Mass Effect or may know a little bit about the background of it, Mass Effect, when it was initially pitched in 2003, held the title Project SFX and did not become Mass Effect until later on. 
However, for the sake of clarity, we'll be using the terms interchangeably. A choice was made early on in the conceptual stage of story development that this would be the first part of a new trilogy, allowing the team to develop the technology that they would be able to use across three games. Overall, shortening development time on the series, which is something that I think we need to be thinking of more a bit in these sort of days, especially with crunch time and how it's actually really killing developers. During its three to four year production cycle, a lot of time was spent on crafting this technological base for things like digital actors, space exploration, and squad based combat. Much like previous releases from Bioware, and on the note of KOTOR and Baldur's Game in particular, the studio pitched the trilogy as being a narrative-driven sci-fi with a heavy emphasis on character development and decision-making. It's very clear that Bioware were ambitious in what they aimed to achieve in Mass Effect. If we look at the original pitch document submitted in 2003, the aims detail a range of features that did not make it into the final release. Most notably, this includes a virtual environment which would be used to facilitate trade and player socialising. Reading the pitch document, it seems the developers hope to achieve a dynamic, player-driven in-game economy much akin to what EVE Online now boasts as one of its key features. Further in, we also read how Mass Effect would have procedurally generated planets that would be freely explorable as part of an upgradable spaceship and resource hunting background. For context, the much-lauded No Man's Sky famously fell short of achieving that in 2018, nearly a decade after Mass Effect was released, so there can be no doubt that the development aims were ambitious, if nothing else. As development continued, largely using the same team that worked on Knights of the Old Republic, led by Casey Hudson, these aims narrowed and the shape of Mass Effect gradually began to become more apparent. The overall aesthetic of the game was intended as an intentional departure from the mainstream sci-fi releases which tended towards a darker, more dystopian future. Think of the influence of sci-fi greats such as Dune and Blade Runner. Mass Effect was to show a future where humanity and other races had prospered and unified into a stylish, slick galactic force. In interviews since, developers have discussed how Mass Effect's development was unique in being a game that had a heavy emphasis on fully developed characters with fleshed out, intimate relationships. Built on Unreal Engine 3, developers used their experience from previous titles to build fast-paced combat with customizable squads, weaponry, tech and powers with the intention of making every playthrough of Mass Effect feel unique to the individual player. Early in development, as listed on the 2003 pitch document, the team wanted the player to be able to shift seamlessly between squad members during combat, but this did not translate well into the style of combat the game was pushing. Instead, commands can be issued to squad members who are controlled by AI. Interestingly, as a side note, having watched the documentary on behind-the-scenes Mass Effect that was released if you pre-ordered the game in 2007, the team don't actually give a reason as to why the idea of shifting between squad members was abandoned. I don't know if this was because of bugs or they just felt it didn't fit well with the final result of the game, but it was interesting that the the focus became uh, Commander Shepard. After its announcement in 2005, the hype train began building up speed as multiple awards were given, including Best Graphics Technology, Most Innovative Design, and Most Anticipated Game. By 2006, the studio was able to develop hours of gameplay showcasing key mechanics, which only added to the excitement. As a final note on development, as a result of the dialogue wheel developed for Mass Effect, EA actually patented any use of the dialogue wheel from that point. This has been circumvented by some cheeky developers since by using things like a dialogue circle instead of a wheel. (laughs) And I've got to get off this subject before this whole podcast becomes a story of how intensely I hate EA. But 
Will is going to take us through Mass Effect's release. I still can't get over the fact that wheels and circles are the same. Thing. I know. <laughs> like, sorry. EA, EA's just going, guys, is that a wheel? It's actually yeah. a circle. Go back to the, like, the Neanderthal times. Like, nope. Nope. Don't do that. Don't do that. In November 2007, Mass Effect would finally start hitting the shelves. Interestingly, an Australian distributor accidentally began retailing the game five days before release because they received the stock of the game and assumed that it was greenlit to start the retail, meaning Australia technically benefited from an early release. Which, as if you know, like Australia and video games in general, like that's just a really weird topic in general. Like it's just you know, like uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I often hear um, Yahtzee of zero punctuation fame as an Australian yeah. moaning that he doesn't get releases until like five to six months after the rest yeah, of the world really bad and also they just heavily censor things yeah, yeah. and all I can think about is like uh, you ever seen a, what's it called it's, it's the border control show you know it's like no you can't do that <laughs> that's not allowed no it, yeah you have to declare food items and um, new releases of sci-fi games <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is it Blade Runner no <laughs> don't do that don't do that Upon release, Mass Effect exceeded its initial sales targets and hit 1 million units in less than 3 weeks of its release. Whilst there were undoubtedly flaws and ambitions of such lofty heights that simply could not have been realistically met in development, the game received aggressively positive acclaim from critics. In particular, it seems that the studio's intention to capitalise on their previous successes in player-driven narrative and design paid off. Critics were stunned by the depth and development of both the plot and the characters that had hitherto been seemingly absent from the sci-fi genre in gaming. The game's certainly did not receive universal acclaim and holds an aggregate review score of around 81%, but it was clear that Bioware were in the process of building something groundbreaking. Outside of its narrative, graphics and depth, the game fell short in many critics' eyes. In particular, the combat, the vehicle sections and the user interface were not particularly popular. Uh, the squad systems, much emphasised by the developer, did not seem to resonate as well as they'd hoped. Whilst players enjoyed the character interaction, the squad mechanics were let down by poor artificial intelligence and functionality which restricted their overall unity in the game. The story would not be complete without some controversy as well. Again, like one of the things that was highly praised, obviously, in video games, we do have to deal with those evil lawyers. Largely from the American right and conservative bloggers centred around the sexual aspects of the game, one in particular was Fox News featured a, psych a psychologist, Dr. Cooper Lawrence, discussing how the game con contributes to the objectification of women and can potentially promote sexual violence. At a later date, Lawrence revealed that she had not actually played the game and was basing her analysis off a brief of the game that had been given to her by Fox News. In response, her latest publication plummeted with tons of one-star reviews, critiquing the book on the grounds that they had not actually read it, but heard from a friend that it was shit. True story. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, just again, like, just a credit to your writing, Harry. Just that that sentence was so fucking good. <laughs> as a as a side note, um, Dr. Lawrence did actually retract her statement. Really? Yeah, and she put out a statement. Um, she was invited by a game critic to watch him play Mass Effect. Yeah. And having watched uh, several hours of Mass Effect, she praised the game. Uh, on, on its many positive features and mm. retracted her statement and actually put out a counter statement critiquing Fox News for obviously duping her into giving <laughs> some analysis of uh, what she described as basically being shown porn yeah okay <laughs> so basically she was you know she was like i don't want to watch that and then the base basically just came around to it like watched it happen i was like yeah i'm actually a really are a fan yeah, yeah. like well, she's my favorite character well, what it was is they they basically showed her the alien porn and she went this is wrong and then you went no you misunderstand there's actually a dialogue wheel mm. uh, <laughs> and she went well this is oh probably god wait until she discovers what hentai is <laughs> Well, what about Shepard? He grew up in the colonies. 
He knows how tough life can be out there. His parents were killed when slavers attacked Mindwar. He saw his whole unit die on a coups. He could have some serious emotional scars. Every soldier has scars. Shepard's a survivor. Is that the kind of person we want protecting the galaxy? That's the only kind of person who can protect the galaxy. I'll make the call. We know at this point right now, a spoiler warning is probably pointless because we already we already talk about spoiler warnings and we always, we're always going to talk about the plot of these games. But because Mass Effect is so in-depth with the, its branching paths and its stories and obviously with the influence of player choice, uh, we are going to talk about um, how the certain actions that you you choose can affect the story uh, and we're going to get that out of the way first so if you see the timestamp in the description and you don't want to hear about the story as much then by all means go to that timestamp but uh, for all intents and purposes let's get on with the uh, critically acclaimed and critically panned story of Mass Effect <laughs> roughly 130 years from the present day humanity encounters the ruins of an ancient advanced civilization known as the Protheans on Mars it was through this discovery that possibly the biggest scientific breakthrough of our planet's history was made, Mass Effect physics, allowing humans to implement faster than light travel. This, coupled with the discovery of the mass relay network, opened the frontier of human expansion to the edge of the galaxy. Among the stars, humanity prospers and forms the Systems Alliance of Human Worlds, which in turn joins the Citadel Council, a multi-race body responsible for the governance of the majority of the galaxy. It is here that we meet our protagonist, Commander Shepard, a grizzled veteran of the Systems Alliance Special Forces, as he is put forward as a candidate for the Citadel's Spectre Force, think Galactic Black Ops soldiers, yeah. as humanity's first entry into the group. Shepard deploys from the ship SSV Normandy on a secretive mission to Eden Prime, along with his human squadmate, to recover an unearthed Prothean beacon. Shepard and his team successfully recover the technology, which they all utilise to the good of all races in the galaxy, and everything goes really well. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, I'm fucking with you. The planet is under attack by a genocidal <laughs> synthetic army called the Geth, led by a traitorous member of the Citadel Spectre team, Saren. I've always, as a sidebar, I've always just thought, I mean, I, I love these games to death, and you were talking about it, I was like getting really nostalgic, I was transported back to 2008 when I got the game, I was like, oh, this is so good, and you said the Geth, I'm like, this is the stupidest name. <laughs> also, Saren is just an evil name. Yeah. If I met a dude and he was like, I'm Saren, I'd be like, you're fucking evil, bro. I actually, like, have, a, I actually have a friend called um, Saren. No, you don't. Uh, no, yeah, I have a gun for Saren, yeah. And it, every time I look at her, all I think about is that you just like you know, this evil fucking alien dude. So it's like <laughs> for the good of the galaxy. <laughs> the beacon is activated before Saren escapes, and Shepard interacts with it, but has a bit of a bad trip in which he hallucinates the death and destruction of the universe. Shepard, with some support, reports what he has witnessed to the Citadel Council, but fails to convince them of Saren's treason. But he does learn of an individual called Tali Zora, who obtains a recording that proves the treachery and also highlights an artifact called the Conduit. We also learn of the infamous Reapers, another race of sort of, but not also, robotic, genocidal alien spaceships. <laughs> I don't know what it is, oddly phallic. Um... <laughs> The council is convinced, Saren is disgraced, and Shepard is inducted into the vaunted halls of the Spectre. Along with his team on the SSV Normandy, Shepard plans to gain more information on the Conduit and its relationship to the Reapers, while also simultaneously trying to stop Saren's plans. 
Unfortunately, the Reaper forces are discovered to be lying in the way outside of the Milky Way system, waiting for the opportune moment to invade, aided by Saren. Shepard also learns the truth of the Conduit, a mass relay that will allow the Reapers to travel deep into the heart of Citadel Station, enabling the mass extinction of the galaxy. What happens next, however, is largely determined by the player's choice throughout the game. You can convince Saren to take his own life, or you can kill him himself before you fight the Geth forces at the Citadel. The player must then make the fundamental choice of the ending, whether to risk the huge human losses defending the council, or whether to focus on the human forces on defeating a reaper in the form of Saren's flagship. These choices are, have either minor or major impact on the story in the preceding games, and can heavily impact how characters act towards humanity and Shepard in the coming plot. There is a big um, thing in the whole plot of Mass Effect about how humans are very new to Citadel space, and how there is sort of a prejudice against them, especially the Tyrian race in particular. The, the Tyrian council member is basically just a, 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 a racist against humans. It does come into the game quite a lot. Um, and yeah, no, it's just a I know there was some social commentary at the time that I think as well like it's kind of weird because now like it's it's weird to see like all humans accepted and now it's like oh we're cool but now everyone hates us in general mm. so at least we're all in this together it was actually nice though I mean there, there are there are obviously some real strong influences I think from Star Wars obviously oh, uh, in the space opera style that Mass Effect has gone for mm. uh, and there's some parallels to be drawn there I think between the Citadel Council and the Republic in Star Wars yeah. but um, this is as I mentioned earlier coming from a backdrop of sci-fi which is so often dark and dystopian in which we have encountered other races but that has been marred by war and conflict and i really like the idea that all these other races found each other as they reached interstellar travel and they went should we just fucking work together mm. and, it, and it just went really well for everyone and, and and actually that we we've managed to form like a really competent inter race governmental system i really like the idea yeah me too um, I think a bit. I mean, this is bridging a bit into gameplay as well. But uh, obviously, you can't talk about the story without talking about uh, the Paragon and Renegade system. There are good choices and there are bad. I do think Mass Effect is kind of a, I think, a gold standard for sort of dialogue options in games because I think before Mass Effect, everything was quite black and white. It was always here is the good choice, here is the bad choice, and like Mass Effect is guilty of that of basically like saying you have enough Paragon points to do the, you know, the thumbs up, or you have enough Renegade to do the thumbs down, which is which is all well and good but also like any sort of other dialogue options that are on the in-between are quite interpretive mm. it seems like they can be good options but at times it they don't really sort of like panel like that and I think as well like you see that influence in a lot of stuff like um, I don't know like Telltale I mean um don't nod with stuff like Life is Strange for example I would say don't go too heavily into this because this is one of our discussion points fantastic cool <laughs> Uh, we have actually we just realised as well we have foregone one of our um, traditions and we haven't even asked what we're drinking so Harry what are you drinking? Uh, we're drinking a, a combination of things this evening as Will has already mentioned <laughs> we have the pleasure of I think this is third episode that uh, we weren't able to be together for the last couple of episodes no we? yeah no 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 we, we decided to like sort of go there and like do it remotely so now we're we're enjoying getting to record together uh, and normally we have really sophisticated answers to this normally we're, yeah. we're drinking something really pleasant I am drinking tonight WKD Blue and I am drinking WKD alcoholic mix pink gin flavour courtesy of Love Island <laughs> hashtag Love Island <laughs> oh wait I haven't even done a taste hold on wait wait wait, 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 wait. yeah let's know how it is 
That's actually quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually quite nice. So I pass it to you. I mean, yeah, uh, actually, for, for context, guys, I mean, obviously, again, being in the same room, we can now do this. You know what? It's a good time. That's good. That's refreshing. Yeah, I'll take that, man. Oh, let's get fucking wished in bed. Alco Pops are tasty for a reason. They're refreshing little fuckers. Um, yeah. And it is fresh as wheat, kids. So if you uh, if you want to if you want to get on uh, the tasty stuff, I highly recommend <laughs> WKD Pink Gin Flavor Courtesy of Love Island. Hashtag Love Island. The council thought you could use some help on this one. I wasn't expecting to find the Geth here. The situation's bad. Don't worry. I've got it under control. So, I briefly talked about the story and how uh, there are some player choices in the story. Um, we are going to talk about a little bit more about the gameplay now. We will boil down to, obviously, the Paragon and Renegade system. But before then, we have a little bit more to talk about. Harry, why don't you lead us into that? In tune with the cinematic space opera look that Bioware were obviously aiming for, you spend the vast majority of the game controlling Shepard from a third-person perspective. There are some limited customization options available at the start of the game and various classes which can aid your gameplay style. These are relatively simplistic in the sense that you can be a soldier, which has uh, direct benefits for your gunfighting ability or your health bar, uh, or you can focus on the technical or power aspects of the game. We're going to split our discussion of gameplay into three rough parts. Exploration, dialogue and combat. In terms of exploration, as previously mentioned, the final release did not contain the procedurally generated galaxy that was proposed in 2003, but featured a galaxy map which allowed the player to travel and explore various planets. Shepard uses his starship, the SVV Normandy, as the focal point for travel, as well as other features like upgrade systems. Planets have varying degrees of detail, with some being fully fleshed out worlds and some listed as uncharted planets. In fact, there's a whole range of planets which actually don't offer anything other than a fact window, which is interesting. Yeah, okay, and well, like world building and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Generally, for uncharted planets, the player traverses the surface using the Mako, a drivable utility vehicle which we'll come to discuss a little bit more later. These uncharted planets feature a number of different points of interest, often down satellites or ruins to explore. Planets featured NPCs to interact with, primary and secondary quests, as well as opportunities for resource gathering. Mass Effect gained praise for the depth and variety in its side quests that are available by exploring different parts of the galaxy. Now, one of the parts that I think I want to discuss, both looking at that 2003 proposal document and looking at what Mass Effect was aiming to achieve, is a fundamental question that you have to ask is, is the exploration as deep as was promised? What are your thoughts on that, Will? I think obviously they're trying to make a, a, a game that is heavy on story and world building, um, but I think with Mass Effect in particular, there's a real problem. I mean, with just the actual like breadth, like the actual like width of the galaxy, if mm. that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, you talked about again, you know how like a, even like these little tiny bits of world building where you basically get to look at a planet and it gives you like a brief analysis. Yeah. yeah. And I won't lie to you. Uh, did I read those little blurbs? Did I fuck? Like, there's no, there's not really, there's not really much point in doing it. Yeah, there's I think really I read like, like the first couple that I came across, and then you quickly weigh up. It's like a time benefit thing. You're like, does this add value to my gameplay? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like you know, you look around where it says you should be going, and you're just like, oh, fine, I'll just do these little bits because sometimes you can travel to some of these uncharted galaxies. Um, 
Uh, in particular, there's a DLC where you have to stop a meteorite hitting Earth. I'm pretty sure it was paid DLC rather okay. than free. Um, and you might have encountered it in your gameplay. Um, I, I certainly did, and it was a really fun side mission uh, where it actually made me feel like when I actually went down onto the planet, it felt worth it. Other than that, um, I didn't really feel like when I actually went onto these Uncharted worlds, it was very conducive to the rest of the game it felt sort of like a bit more like just it was it was supplementing material yeah and it felt it felt weaker than the other stuff that was in the game again they were trying to push forward for like galaxy exploration and i completely understand that but you know it wouldn't have hurt to flesh out these worlds just a little bit more even like give them actual like give them more sort of weight yeah yeah i agree with you um it, it's difficult isn't it because like we were talking about earlier the game had a three to four year uh, production cycle before its 2007 release and they, as we've discussed, they certainly had ambitious heights around what they wanted to achieve with the exploration. But with a lot of the worlds, like you say, it feels like an afterthought. Yeah. Uh, and realistically, I think, looking at my experience with the game and what other critics have said, were that not a feature in the game, I don't feel like I was missing anything particularly. No, I, I, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think um, as well, like even in like uh, the actual like main, uh, you know, when you go into the actual planets you're supposed to go onto, I think the linear scope of the game really kind of like. Um rears its ugly head yeah because again you know i mean I, I do like feel like i'm going on a bit of a globe trotting galaxy adventure and uh even when i go down these little paths where you know it says i can go down here and i can find something it doesn't always feel worth it i mean yeah. you always get you know you're always finding new weapons new armor but also like without the proper utensils and training you can't use a lot of it yeah and i found myself with an inventory full of just cack yeah yeah and it is also i mean on, on that topic it, it does suffer from something that other games suffer from which is when you discover something particularly on the uncharted worlds you discover a ruin or an abandoned facility once you've seen one crate filled room you've seen all the fucking crate filled rooms uh, and I, I know occasionally there's a, a drone or a shock trooper in there that you've got to kill but i mean it's basically just reskins of the same sort of facilities with some crates in it that like you say might hold some loot that's useful but more often don't yeah no and but even then like you know like i mean obviously not to like so like you know like to obviously look at the positives i do think the environmental design is incredibly varied and each each galaxy you explore does feel very unique but again unfortunately when you've sort of like you've already touched upon it you do see a lot of these same crates just sort of like plastered there and even though they're reskinned you definitely know they have the same kind of outline yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's weird i've got to say i mean for maybe the first time in our podcast i'm gonna use a controversial phrase here I disagree with you on that. Really? So the fleshed out worlds, I agree with you. They, I've <laughs> contradicted myself. I've just said I disagree with you. And I agree with you <laughs> in the same section. Um, the fleshed out worlds certainly feel like they have a unique identity, but the uncharted worlds is something that I definitely have quite a lot of criticism for in the sense that although they look different on the surface, they're largely the same. They're hilly terrains, which have some variety in the sense that you have a lava world and you have a nice world and you have a green world and you have a red world, but they really aren't that fucking different beyond a basic color palette. They're hilly terrains, which have some dangerous areas and you have some points of interest, which, as I say, are largely reskinned. And I think one of the things, without delving probably too much into it, because I want to discuss this mainly in combat... Yeah. How did you feel about the actual galaxy map UI? Because I didn't like it. Um, I think the music's... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, obviously, like, they're trying to guide you down certain paths. I mean, like, uh, they, they, they name particular planet 
particular systems you should be going to like mm. uh like with stuff like novaria you see it instantly all right cool right i know i'm supposed to go here and then there's the other bits in between where it's like okay cool right these are places i can explore and there are times where the galaxies in particular aren't really interesting because you know it's just like oh sometimes information even when i land on those in the mako you know it's it, it, it's 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 still not really like again it's 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 the, it's the supplementing material it's yeah, just, yeah. It's, it's not really fun that's it that, i know in fact i remember uh, very early on in the game you're when you're first given the opportunity to start pursuing your quest as the new commander uh, of the ssv normandy you're given some hints about where to go and in particular there's one system i'm gonna artemis prime or artemis eru i think it's called there's one system that you have to visit which has a total of about 12 planets in it two of them you can visit and you're not told which one you can visit but you have to sit there just clicking on each planet individually until you find out which one it is you can travel through yeah that's just a waste of time no it is but I mean also I mean it, it becomes very obvious that they're trying to fluff it a little bit yeah exactly obviously, you know, like, I mean they're, they're trying to like bank on promises they've already made um, and saying you know like, I mean like, in, in, a, in a very sort of like Peter Molyneux from Lionhead where you know it's, it's like if you drop an acorn on the floor it will grow into a tree if you remember that from 2003's E3 I think it was for Fable yeah, yeah. Uh, and then obviously you play Fable and it's like well this is like just not what you promised yeah and, and, and it's sort of like like, like you said they're, they're, they're filling time because you're, there's a, pl- a certain planet that you're meant to go to and it feels like someone somewhere has gone how about before they visit that planet they have to read eight different space facts <laughs> about different planets and you read but it's like you're, you're flicking through these planets and you're like oh the surface temperature of Sparta is 900 degrees <laughs> I don't give a shit yeah. tell me more about the liquids yeah, yeah, yeah. oh the gas composition of that planet I, I, this is I, I didn't I didn't read that thing like that has added gameplay depth yeah, for me I'm really glad that yeah, I did I, this yeah, exactly. my choices good. are influencing the game yeah I feel good about that speaking of choices though I mean um, we've got to talk about the Paragon and the Renegade system that comes under dialogue it does it does that comes Fantastic. under dialogue we were that we motherfucker I'm obviously like very eager to talk about it because it's my favourite bit of the game okay. <laughs> oh shit no that's a spoiler we already got a spoiler <laughs> we're going to get on to it but before we move off exploration it would be remiss to discuss what has been I think one of the larger critiqued parts of the game which is uh, the Mako oh my god yeah right cool right cool so I can actually like I can gauge this because you didn't play the original version of Mass Effect did you no I didn't know I'm playing on the Legendary Edition yeah cool right so the Mako sucks in the Legendary Edition Right? Yeah. Imagine bad. it. So yeah, bad. yeah. Imagine it, but worse. And now it's at a point where it's drivable and it doesn't, you know, like hurt you when you do things. The Mako in the original edition of Mass Effect was just so bad. They've now improved, obviously, you know, like how it drives and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, like, it's minimal. It is like bare bones. It is not good. Um, especially, I mean, like, it, it sort of like drives like Halo 3 Warthogs. And yeah, that's, sort of yeah stuff. That's, that's right. Yeah, but like when you drive a Warthog in Halo 3, you know, like, you, you know, you expect at a point where you, know, you can hop out and you can flip it over. There have been times where I've been trapped for a solid like 60 seconds. And there's no real, there's no real button or way to get out of the Mako and like flip it. Uh, I don't think, and I mean, I didn't really try it because I was just sort of sat no, there like, pressing I, buttons. I don't think there is in the same way that you can just wildly flip. Yeah, because you, 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 you get like, like a sort of like an it's not an error message, but you know, like you can't do this if the Mako's yeah, not yeah, part yeah. properly. And um, yeah, no, I just even even to all its credit, and even to the 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 experience hoarding parts of the Mako, where you can obviously like kill loads of Geth and all that sort of stuff to get some experience. It's not good that is also by the way only a feature in the legendary edition um in the original 2007 release any kills in the mako did not count towards your xp uh, as a character 
I did find myself leveling up quite fast in the newer version of Mass Effect for the Legendary Edition, and you've just answered something that I didn't actually know about, um, and that makes so much sense. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a point of complaint that people had with Mass Effect One. Um, in terms of my criticism of the Mako, uh, it, it does look it, like Will said it, it does sort of bear some passing resemblance to the Warthog. I really like the visual design of it. I, I yeah. think it's really cool. It certainly suits the Systems Alliance. It bears a sort of sleek similarity to the Normandy spaceship yeah. in the sense that it's got that sort of streamlined, futuristic look to it. Um, the actual handling of it is fucking awful. Yeah. The game at various points decides whether to dictate the left or right steering by the left analog or by the camera direction. If you accidentally take a turn, Trying to do a three-point turn in that motherfucker it's is hard. awful. It's so bad. I don't understand why. I mean, again, like you know, again, like we've had like vehicles drive very well in these sort of games before. Again, like it, it, it makes no sense to me how. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if it's also like uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Even if it's like um, the first time that like uh, they've had to redesign a car, yeah, Bioware, and maybe it's the fact that they they well, nice. The old Republic answers. does have a vehicle section in yeah. it. Uh, but it's, it, as I say, it's very, very bare bones. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. Even then, you know, that, that, that points in directions, and you sort of, you go to them. Yeah. Um, and like with this one, it's you know, like you, you know, it's the turning. And again, like just you know, when you when you when you when you push forward on the stick, you would expect to be going forward, not doing this real like weird yeah, yeah, twist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even then, like when you do that, there's this really weird realignment that the maker actually does. Yeah, you're you're holding your left analog thing. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, exactly. No, I just want to drive the car. Yeah. And, and, and it makes it harder for yourself. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't. It also does have. I don't know if you know. Noticed, but I noticed it on particularly on some of the Uncharted world. That thing has fucking silly wheel traction. Yeah, you can go up walls at like ninety degree angles. Like yeah. you could just. In fact, there were some areas where it was obvious, like we were talking about earlier, where they were trying to direct you upon a linear path, and your um, point of interest was say over a ridge or over a hill. That I realised you could just boost into the hill. No, yeah, the boost function is literally like the thing that saved me half the time with the maker yeah, because yeah. like it would help me to like try and like realign my path. Um, in particular, with this DLC quest that I I briefly touched upon. Um, there was a point where basically you have to like try and find out where all these um so sort of, like dead bodies are yeah uh, and i found myself just literally launching myself off cliffs and that was the most fun i had in the yeah, yeah, yeah because it felt like a skyrim horse but it also i mean yeah so that's that's a really good comparison and this is when i talked about liking that visual style it it looks like i say similar to the warthog similar to the ssv normandy but there's obviously influence taken from it from um real world apcs armored personnel carriers yeah. which are heavy vehicles which are designed to transport soldiers safely in war zones um, the Mako don't fucking handle like no, that. No, 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 you, no. you drive the Mako off a hill and the, the, it's like playing fucking SSX Tricky oh bro bro they're dead they're fucking dead definitely <laughs> but um, I also didn't hugely enjoy the Mako combat yeah. Uh, I found out relatively early on that people are really slow when they're firing at the Mako so if you just point your turret at them and just sort of slowly strafe in your vehicle you can pretty much avoid all damage yeah i mean even then talking about the combat in mass effect in particular um i don't feel like it's the best and i definitely feel like it becomes more refined as the series goes on especially mass effect 2 but i think um to to sort of wrap up our discussion of exploration which took a bit of a tangent into discussing the makeover which is definitely a it's still worth it. it's a really really key part of the exploration um, I think that the sort of final question that I'd like to pose to close our discussion is would you have enjoyed Mass Effect less as a linear adventure? I don't think I I don't think I would have but I think I think the fact that I and again like we're given this 
game and we're sort of like promised and like even like you know like even like the game itself sort of like says like you know go explore and go have fun and go be crazy with it and then gives you these very sort of like you know it gives you sort of like corridors rather than rooms yeah it does feel very strange because again you know even though they were like trying to say like, oh you know we're, we're trying to ex- you know we're trying to expand on exploration um and we're trying to make it like a really again a really sort of like conducive experience uh i found myself like quite narrowed and even though i enjoyed environmental designs they kept it a little bit more fresh for me in particular rather yeah. than you i do still feel like you know like they tried to make an open world and they made it extremely linear yeah i agree with you uh, i do agree with you on that and i think one of the phrases that we've used previously in podcasts and one of the things i'm really keen on is player agency and the result that player agency can have on the overall experience when open worlds do it well it essentially means that if you discover something yourself or you explore something yourself you feel like it's you that's done that you haven't the game hasn't held your hand you have actively discovered that or achieved that objective and there's something really special about that mass effect doesn't do that for me like will said mainly because the exploration isn't as fleshed out or well developed as it should be that is certainly not a criticism of the side quests i think you know some of the side quests that mass effect has are really impressive but they are not mutually exclusive with the exploration um and again like i know we're like at this point critiquing a hd port of a game from 2008 but i do think uh we 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 can pull from a plethora of titles that have done like even like at that early stage open worlds with like you know like even a slightly linear take We've Shadow of the Colossus sort of games exactly Shadow of the Colossus you know like um, it's given us points to go to and even then it's made me feel like I'm actually in a world rather than a room absolutely that's it I mean exploration has been a really really key part of the game to discuss and was a huge feature of the pitch document and what the final form of Mass Effect was in 2007 but Will's going to take us now into talking about the next section of Mass Effect which is dialogue one last question commander rumours back home say you're tracking a rogue spectre named Saren do you have any comment on that? I've had enough of your snide insinuations. You son of a bitch! Any discussion of Mass Effect would not be complete without giving attention to arguably the most famous feature, the dialogue, choices, and the impact that it has on the plot. Decisions are made through Shepard's dialogue wheel, in which he is given a range of reactions to investigate questions that influence the flow and resolve conversation around him. The dialogue wheel compacts the interface of traditional RPGs, in which lengthy paragraphs had to be read in order to make competent decisions, and will often shorten dialogue options into one or two word summaries of context. Along with having Shepard voiced, this meant that the conversations generally flowed at a much more natural and arguably immersive pace than had been explored prior. I mean, I'm thinking about stuff especially in the year that this came out fallout 3 where you have just like a line of dialogue and the character reacts and you know obviously you know you know the, the player is the avatar but giving a voice to something like that does make it a little bit feel feel a lot more authentic the game still suffers from pauses that disrupt the suspension of disbelief when characters appear to take a few seconds staring silently and intently at each other whilst they think about what they need to say for the next part you know and, and it is like you know it's the odd like weird shake head and then just, yeah. just, just looking intently <laughs> like through the wall that is supposed to be a human being um the dialogue choices also lend us into mass effects binary morality system something i'm very excited to talk about the paragon and the renegade 
Decisions made that contribute to Paragon points tend to be more compassionate, unifying, and empathetic, whereas Renegade points are pragmatic, ruthless, and individualist. Some critics argue that some dialogue options do not clearly fit into either side of the morality and feel uncomfortable in their implementation. I think that's very interpretive. I personally think... Um, it's a little bit there's a little bit more to that but we can discuss that in a second because we have to really talk about the big question here like does the dialogue wheel work do you feel immersed by the dialogue did you feel your choices were meaningful you know are you you know do you think paragon or renegade adds value to the game well the first one of that does the dialogue wheel work fundamentally i like the dialogue wheel I think that there was a reason that it was adopted by so many games in the future. The Fallout series eventually died, adopted the dialogue wheel. Um, so did Skyrim. The reason that the dialogue wheel became so popular is if we hark back to, say, Baldur's Gate and you look at uh, even Morrowind, for example. When you're in the middle of a conversation, you had your choices, generally A, B, and C, presented to you as full blocks of text. Now, this meant that when you're having a conversation with someone, even in Knights of the Old Republic, this meant that when you're having a conversation with someone, you had to read three paragraphs before you could make a competent decision about what it was that you could say. This disrupts the flow of conversation. It feels unnatural, uh, and it can frankly become at times a little bit wordy. So I enjoy the idea of the dialogue wheel. One of the criticisms that I would have for it is that I feel that sometimes the dialogue wheel didn't actually match the dialogue. So there were some examples which I actually, for example, didn't realize were renegade options where Shepard would be in a conversation and someone would say something like, uh, hey, Shepard, how about we go over here? And the dialogue wheel would have an option which was something like, I don't think that's a great idea. And I would select that option and then Shepard would go, fuck you, you stupid <laughs> cunt. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck? That's so true. Because also, like, they're not always, like, clarified. Like, they, sometimes they're either, like, blue or red. There's the clear Paragon or Renegade option. And then the other, other ones where it's basically like, humans are great. Shut yeah. up, <laughs> shut up, you Turian. And it's I, like, Shepard, that's racist. I do appreciate that Mass Effect throws in as many opportunities for you to be racist towards other races as possible. Uh, and it, it can be at times, frankly, that it's not even relevant. Yeah. Some, like, someone, like, one of your squad mates would be like, hey, Shepard, have you ever experienced this? And you can just reply with, like, fuck you scum yeah <laughs> but what i mean is like so there were some times where i felt like that condensation of the dialogue I, I, because it was often uh, reduced to sort of like one or two word paraphrases it didn't quite fit what shepherd's actions were no i agree i think um as well like, i'm not entirely sure on the actual fact of this but like obviously when you like um we didn't talk about this earlier with customization but you can also be male or female you can choose to be a femme shep or the male shep um and I think there might have been... I, I, I'm pretty sure there is no variant in dialogue depending on if you're male or female. Um, but I do think there was a missed opportunity there. I mean, like even like um, Resident Evil 2 does it with... Um, there's a gun shop owner. Uh, and if you go there as Leon, he reacts quite abrasively to you. And if you go there as Claire, he's he's a lot more empathetic. Um and I think you know, um, you know, you saw like talking about like how then um, you know these dialogue options aren't necessarily clearly marked. And I, I, I do agree with you, like to an extent. I mean, at times it feels like it's quite a clear separation because in the dialogue wheel, it seems to be the more empathetic things are always in the top right, and then the more sort of. Um, aggressive things are more in the bottom and then it was obviously there's the neutral bit where basically everyone just looks at you and is like well, why, why are you agreeing with me yeah, yeah um obviously again as well like depending on how many paragon points and renegade points you have more dialogue options do open up and it also works with your charm and intimidation uh skill set with the with the rpg elements i do think again like there is there is praise to be had in this uh very non-black and white 
good or bad choice. There is. And it also, for me, this was just purely for my own enjoyment when I was playing the game, added some really comedic elements. Yeah. Where, like, you, because you, you have the Renegade and the Paragon options, and for example, you could save a character, and they would, they'd be like, oh, thank you so much for saving me. And then you'd, obviously, you know, you'd give them the Paragon response where you'd say, hey, that's my responsibility as a commander. And then they'd go, so who are you? And then you just switch straight to Renegade. I'm Shepard, bitch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can just like lure them into that like full sense of screw they just hit them with, like a renegade answer <laughs> just fucking keep them on their toes they don't know where you are with them one of the things I will say for the dialogue as well um, immersion let's talk about the immersion of the dialogue yeah. um, so the idea is that the conversation flows naturally right how do you, do you feel like it does do you feel like the dialogue will or the dialogue generally do you feel like the conversation flows naturally it depends on the character especially with your squad mates there's a lot more variety i think the npcs is completely fine because obviously they're not as like they're not as um prevalent to the story as obviously your actual party yeah. members i found that i mean personally again like it might vary uh, on um individual experiences but i found myself um sort of like being quite abrasive with how like garris looked at things because he looked at things quite cynically um and it's the same with like uh, and I, I will i've already talked to you about this um outside of the podcast but um everyone's favorite space racist ashley uh ashley i i gotta say i do not like her like as far as she's as far as like um she you know like her, her viewpoint on things it's obviously you know like, as a character you know you, you do eventually see her throughout the series like so like evolve back round to the idea of acceptance but uh, in this first game she is a cow she's <laughs> absolutely just an asshole uh, and again like there's a point where basically she is one of the romance options as is Liara and also like again like probably worth knowing Caden uh, and this is for male or female and I think that's I think that's important to say because yeah, obviously yeah. like gay representation I don't think before 2008 there was much if any and I think again like you know like it's one of those it's one of those options um, where you just think oh cool you know like thank you for including that thank you for not like sort of limiting it to like you know it's like oh girls like boys and boys like girls yeah yeah um, but you know I I I, I... <laughs> There was a point where basically I was trying to romance a particular character, character Liara, because in this game she, you know, personally she's one of my more she's one of my favorite characters because she has a really nice sort of character arc. Uh, and I found myself going down her romance path, and then somehow I sidelined into Ashley's. Uh, and, I, and I don't really, again, like, I don't dislike Ashley, but uh, being a space racist, <laughs> I gotta say I don't agree with her on things. Yeah. Um, and there's a point and where that, basically... It's not just, it's, that's just not conducive to a relationship. No, it, and it's not. No, exactly. You know, she says, like, these fucking aliens. It's like, uh, aliens? What do you mean by that? <laughs> the people in space or the people on Earth? Actually, it's 2142. You can't yeah. say that anymore. <laughs> Um, but like there's there's a bit where she starts reciting I mean I don't know if you sort of got to this point uh, there's a bit where she starts reciting poetry and she starts off a dialogue option which is going oh captain my captain and it's like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> are we and like you know this is, this is like this is like the the lead up to the the the, the intimate sex scenes that um the, the the lawyer was quite not very happy about uh, and I was like I started like sort of going through these dialogue options it's like I don't want to put down with you <laughs> but I do need a trophy <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, like to see the morals yeah. of that. Yeah, flexible. and then like Shepard's, I was like, oh, so you like poetry? And she's like, he's like, oh yeah, my dad used to love like Tennessee Williams or whatever the hell it was. And he was, he was like, cool, we should bang. 
like like there i i'm i'm so certain in the back of my head like there is an option at one point in one of these games you know basically the the two words he speaks i just will bang <laughs> <laughs> and like it does feel a bit like jarring as well and this is again like still conversation about dialogue and writing um there are some options again when you're talking about how like things aren't how they seem initially yeah, as described yeah. uh and then just the craziest dialogue comes out of left field and you're left there with an extremely comedic experience that i don't think was intentional yeah exactly that's the thing it was not intentional you you mentioned the word jarring there now one of the things i found jarring uh particularly to the immersion when you're talking about dialogue generally the conversations i think flow quite competently considering the fact that it's a 2007 release that certainly falls short when you introduce any form of animation when characters are standing still having a face-to-face conversation it's okay there are some other occasions where you're talking with a character and then for the sake of the story or whatever's going on at that particular time they they move or they they go up some stairs and it's fucking janky because the characters (laughs) take a minute to like readjust themselves the characters are seemingly like unable to maintain conversation while they're moving as well so you'll be in like the middle of a really important conversation and then the characters go god and then they'll walk like 10 feet away in complete (laughs) silence in which you'll follow them and then you'll turn stare at each other again and then continue your conversation yeah, exactly and you're watching like could you guys not carry this conversation while you were walking or something like that so there are parts of it but I think like like I've just said I think this harks back to it being a 2007 release yeah, right no yeah definitely like and again like um, even then like uh, the, there are still some like quite important dialogue options you do make in this game obviously we talked about how um, you can choose to prioritise the human race or you can choose to prioritise the Stealth Council towards the towards the end of the game um, in particular there's a situation with a particular squad mate um, Rex where basically you can have a you have a showdown on one of the um planets and if you've been quite paragon you're being quite empathetic and you can be quite realist about this to rex uh basically you can do you can you can stop him you can, you can make him lower his gun you can say right cool right we need to be calm i understand these things are happening uh in particular with race uh, rex's race there's a thing called the genophage which has basically rendered his race um impotent basically you know they can't produce any more uh, children and it happens every every now and then but it's incredibly rare and most kids come out stillborn and there's a point where basically Saren is trying to develop a cure so he can make more of Rex's race uh, but Craig Krogons Krogons they're called Krogons if you've been quite paragon throughout the game you can defer him away from it but if you've been if you can't convince him otherwise you kill him you straight up kill him <laughs> and you shoot that. and you, again he's dead on the ground you're like there it's, and it's like oh my god like these 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 options do have a weight and sometimes you're not necessarily thinking about it and this is where I do think there is a positive in the, in the dialogue system yeah, like yeah. writing because uh, I remember like on my on my first playthrough about way back in 2008 I, I, I remember like looking at his, his body and I was like oh my god yeah, that yeah. was my party member and now he's dead uh, and then I had it this time round, and I saved him and I was like fuck yeah 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 I think that you've just used a word there that I want to touch on, which is the weight of the decisions. Uh, And the reason that I want to touch on that is from about 2007, pretty much culminating with the Mass Effect release through to probably 2013, 2014, that binary morality system becomes really, really popular in a lot of games. So a lot of games start uh, boosting themselves at E3 with saying we have multiple endings. Realistically, they don't. They have two endings. They have the nice ending yeah. or the asshole they ending. They have blue or red. That's it. They're, they're your two Literally fucking endings. Literally Mass Effect, by the way. Literally yeah, blue or red. Absolutely. You, you, you have your nice ending and you have your ass, asshole ending. That starts to end as we get to sort of like 2013, 2014. People start bringing in more dynamic systems of morality. That binary system, so that good or bad system... Um, 
Do you think that works for Mass Effect? Did it add value overall to your playthrough? Definitely. It's it's half the reason I play these sort of games. Like, you know, I I, I was steered down the sort of like path, the path of multiple choices in games, half been a partially because of Mass Effect. Because I remember, in, again, in my first playthrough, um, and even in this playthrough, I prioritized the Citadel at the end of it. And then um, basically there's an option where, um, you know, there's like a shepherd, he's like, what will you do now? And he looks at me and she goes, fuck you. Just walks away, and then literally, like the commander, the your commander Anderson friend is like, he's right. Fuck you guys. You know, it's like, there's a lot of stuff to do, and then like the, the screen came up, and like my screen was like blue after I said fuck you, and I was like, yeah, but it was good though. It was a good fuck you. And <laughs> uh, before we move on to uh, discussing the next topic, one of the things I want to touch on really briefly in, in dialogue uh, is the voice acting. To, it, it was fully casted uh, every M, pretty much most NPCs not every NPC most NPCs have some level of dialogue that you can interact with often at times it's a little bit weird because for example when you're walking around the citadel you can just go up to random people and start asking them investigative questions <laughs> so like there'll, there'll be someone like just stood looking into the distance and you can just go up to them and just go so where are you from no, and no, they're just answering complete earnest yeah that's so true it, feel, like, it, do, it does feel like I'm interacting with the room yeah yeah, yeah. They're literally you know like I mean, I'm going to something and it's like, it's like oh yeah yeah hi yeah I'm a, I'm a Tyrion I'm doing my bit it's like so how is your sex life yeah <laughs> But the fact is, none of them react to it. They, they were just answering complete earnest. You walk over to someone, and you're like, "So have you been married long?" And they turn around, they're like, 14 Yeah, just completely reasonably, they just start answering the question. Um, but what did you think of Shepard's voice acting? I think Shepard. I mean, like, I, I personally think they're um, with 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 uh, Fem Shep, uh, female Shepard. It's a, the voice actor is a bit better. I think. I think off the top of my head, it's Jennifer Hale. I can't remember the voice actor for Male Shepherd, but like there is a beauty to the jank. Yeah. And again, like there are times where he's he's quite good, and there are times where he's just like pure like gammon. Hell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but again, like I think the voice acting throughout the, the throughout the whole game is quite competent. I'm a I'm a big fan of Keith David. Uh, who voices Commander Anderson? Yeah, really wow, he, uh, he's really cool. Yeah, he's great, and he has he, it's that sort of like very authoritative voice, and at times he speaks so fast by him on like on every fucking syllable of his word. Yeah, I I agree with you. I really like the the voice actor of Commander Anderson for Shepard, particularly male Shepard. Uh, I I think pretty much voiced by like grizzled veteran actor number two. Do you know what I mean? And there wasn't a huge range in the depth of his emotion or the depth of his dialogue. You know the he, he frankly could have been offering to kill someone or saying his wedding vows and you wouldn't have noticed too much different <laughs> in pitch I mean it's just I'm Commander yeah. Shepard all the time I agree with you you, you could copy his uh, voice into, you can copy and paste his voice into like a first person shooter and it wouldn't feel out yeah, of place yeah exactly totally um, well we, we we talked about exploration and dialogue what do you think we need to talk about next definitely the combat we haven't even I mean I want to talk about the combat again because it's it's probably my more contentious point with the game alright let's talk about that help me out here Shepard the lines between friend and foe are getting a little blurry from where I stand. I shouldn't have to explain that to you, Rex. Indulge me. I've been loyal to you so far. Hell, you did more for me than my family ever did. But if I'm going to keep following you, I need to know we're doing it for the right reasons. All you need to know is that I'm giving you an order to fall in line. The combat in Mass Effect, for lack of a better term, is incredibly derivative. The influences of other titles, as well as arguably the dominant combat system of the era, is painstakingly apparent. Shepard engages enemies in real-time third-person shooting, coupled with the sort of mechanics you'd expect to see, such as sprinting and snapping to cover. The weapons and tech available can be employed to suit the player's preferred combat style, with a range of long, mid, and short-range weaponry available. 
Gunplay is generally competent, with weapons feeling satisfying and kills feeling meaningful. There is also a huge range of upgrades and mods available that do make a tangible difference to the effectiveness of the weaponry and abilities that you'll use. On the topic of upgrades, the development available to Shepard as a character also does have a noticeable impact on the gameplay. Unlike some RPGs in the future, <coughs> Fallout 4, <coughs> which would be criticised for abandoning their RPG roots in favour of the shooter popularity, Mass Effect does stay firmly faithful to upgrading the character and the squad. The game, however, does fall short in some areas. The UI and the polish of the overall combat system, as will be discussed, leaves a lot to be desired. The combat animations are slow and awkward, and can often result in accidental steps or actions that the player did not mean to take. The squad system certainly adds depth to the story and the dialogue, but actually employing it in the gameplay is less useful. Squad AI is relatively useless, you have to manually change your weapon or their weapon throughout the engagement, and the respective specialisations do little to aid you throughout the game. They're a nice touch, regardless, and often make long combative sequences feel more engaging than if you were one-man armying a fuckton of robot aliens. The poor AI certainly translates into the enemies as well. Although they will approach, take cover, and fire at the player, they're relatively unresponsive and appear to utilise no tactics other than shoot a lot and run at player. This is certainly more forgivable when you think about the game's primacy as an RPG, but when you consider it in the context of being released in the same year as Call of Duty's Modern Warfare, a game where the AI will actively flank and pressure the player using explosives and hand grenades, the utility of the AI doesn't quite stand up to the test of time. So to lead us into our discussion of combat, we'll go with the most obvious one. How do you feel about the gunplay? I think the gunplay is fine. I don't think it's um, I don't think it's great. I think um, when we used to like talk about guns, we have to talk about like, the upgrade system, which uh, Mass Effect does not explain. Yeah, at all. Not at all. No. Uh, I mean, I found out um, at least I I know for a fact when I initially played Mass Effect, I didn't use any of these sort like the mods you could get for your weapons, sort of like a cryo mod, yeah, yeah. or a flame mod. This time round, uh, I was finding more useful now. And like enemies were like pulp to me yeah. uh, and I was sort of like I'm, I, was, I'm there, I was like well I mean like you know like I only notice now because I'm actively searching for stuff like this in these sort of games um, but like again like Mass Effect doesn't make the the conscious effort to explain the upgrade system to you bar the fact that if you look on the menu it will say like, so like Square or X I'm pretty sure if it's Xbox you know to actually install the upgrade you see that word you go oh maybe I can install upgrades um, but then you like and then you say I was like well cool why wasn't that explained to me yeah I mean I got quite a few hours into the game and it was only actually from watching sort of let's plays and other people play the game and I started hearing people talk about as you lead up to a mission or a certain kind of engagement adapting your loadout to either organics or synthetics that I realised that was a thing yeah I didn't even realise that certain weapons or certain mods would give you damage buffs against synthetics or organic enemies it's just not explained yeah I found myself um, I don't know what class did you soldier I went as basic soldier yeah cool I went for vanguard so I'm, I'm more like uh, biotic based so there was like a little bit of like more um, sort of like, a, like, sort of like raising power moves and pushes they felt quite fun to use they do feel good it does feel like you know like you, you you hit something and you get like instant gratification like oh that was really cool that was really fun yeah. and it feels really good when you can switch to a sniper and literally like while they're still in the air kill them and get that experience and you're like yes cool that is really fun it'd be much more fun if the AI wasn't 
so stupid it's awful I, it's so bad mm. I um, there were times where I was like I was like flanking enemies and I, I would see them slowly turn towards yeah. me as if it was like a, I don't know if you've seen like Justice League but like you know when like uh, Superman realises the Flash is there yeah, yeah. and you know, it's like the, you know like I'm like the Flash and then like the enemy's like looking at me for like a long time <laughs> but the, the difference is that like Superman doesn't punch me literally yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I pummel Superman into the floor yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's not great and even then like from your squad members as well like my squad members I mean I, I, I like to think my, my main squad you know, it actually I actually like shifted through quite a lot of them uh, quite a lot one of my favorite characters in this series is Tali um, I think she's really fun and I think she's really funny um, but like I I found myself looking at her and thinking to myself my god I wish this gun could be pointed at your head because yeah, yeah, yeah. this is so stupid and it was it was the same with like any of my other squad mates I was like why are you guys being so stupid I'm carrying this team yeah yeah in fact it's funny you, you say that it leads me into one of my next points about pointing the gun at your teammate which was at my preferred style of engagement just because it was probably the easiest one uh, was to use the Avenger sniper rifle because it allowed you to engage from a distance the amount of fucking times that you're just lining up that perfect headshot and one of your squad mates just walks in front of your scope uh, and just stands there and you're like what the fuck are you doing you big Krogan bastard move uh, it's super annoying and one of, when we're talking about the competency of the AI I also found out relatively early on that there are quite a lot of instances or quite a lot of engagement where if you use the sniper rifle with enough range you can actually just sit outside the enemy's uh, range of detection and literally just pick them off. So they do expand on that in Mass Effect 2 where they made that more of a, a point of action where they basically they describe to you they say like, yeah actually sniping is actually quite a relative it, it, they, they do improve on that gunplay um, but in particular with sniper rifle it's traditional ridiculous there's a there's a there's a enemy i think it's called the geth destroyers i had so many instances they are programmed to just run at yeah. you and shoot you at close range and they were never a problem for me yeah, because yeah. i will do three shots with my sniper and they'd be done yeah absolutely i am glad i mean on that basis of, of three shots from the sniper i am glad that they went with the energy resage system as opposed to limited yeah. ammo capacity the reason that i am glad that they went for that as opposed to picking up ammo throughout the game leads me on to my next point I fucking hate the UI. I know you do. And I, I, I you know, like, I, I want to defend it because it looks good, but the actual implementation into putting inputting commands into the pause menu and even like ne- negotiating what your squad should be doing is is not good no not at all in fact uh, inventory management for example one of the things that, that it really baffles me is when you open the inventory management system or you're applying upgrades to your weapons every single section so your you have say your weapon type on the left and then the mods available to you on the right they're not differentiated they're all that vague same burnt orange color and it's really hard to tell what the fuck you're doing yeah and again like it's uh, it also like sort of links back to the dialogue thing where basically the same input command uh, that you have for confirming dialogue options is the same as skipping through oh my fucking god and there are god. so many times where I've made the wrong decision because don't get me wrong you want to appreciate the voice acting but sometimes you don't necessarily want to have a fucking half hour conversation with an NPC and no you don't and so you, you skip through a bit of the dialogue and then you're sort of mid conversation you've accidentally tried to skip a bit of dialogue and then you've chosen your next dialogue option. Shepard just randomly goes like, fuck you, alien. And you're like, Josh, I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, well, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize I was Ashley. <laughs> oh, space yeah. Fascist. Fucking space racers, Ashley. <laughs> but the, the UI is just poor, man. And that coupled with the fact that none of the mods or upgrades are explained particularly well really turned me off utilizing it during the game i don't blame you it's really bad i mean also like um we we, we haven't really sort of touched upon this but obviously there's in-game currency where you can like sort of like purchase items and weapons and armor and all of the like did you ever buy anything 
I uh, so I actually during as I do with most RPGs, I started hoarding resources and nice. hoarding money early on in the game. Obviously, uh, and you you can do separate side tasks. What what's the name of the currency? Uh, I don't care. Yeah, it's like credits or something. Yeah, shit, credits. Right? Yeah, 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 credits. yeah, 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 yeah. You've uh, been you've been credited credits. Yeah, that's it. We'll call it fucking credits. And so you do a task in this person's like, if you do this task, I will give you fifty credits. And you're yeah. like, all right, I I do that. And then you become a spectre and you go to the spectre store and they're like, you want to buy a sniper. 50,000 credits. Yeah. And you're there like, why the fuck have I been doing all these tasks for like 10 credits? Exactly, yeah. Uh, I can just find them in the environment as well. The, the, be- the best weapons you find are in the environment. They don't make a point of like yeah, yeah. pushing forward that the shop system is, the, or the economy of the game is 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 actually like meaningful. Like, it, it, it it's just, it, again, like it, it comes back to the, like the whole idea of like there's been like, there's obviously been some prioritization with the, with the gameplay mechanics of Mass Effect, especially with, like the dialogue and the story. And like some things do seem like an afterthought, especially the game game economy. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's not relative to the, to, it, it's not scaled. It's not relative. It, it's confusing figuring out whether or not the amount of credits you're being offered for something is yeah. worth it. But so the game utilizes, uh, as uh, to put it in its most basic aspect, a four weapon system of handgun, assault rifle, shotgun, and sniper. I understand the concept was probably that the player would switch dynamically between them depending on the combat. One of the reasons why I didn't particularly, say for example, as you were talking about the Geth Destroyer, I'm sniping, someone starts to get a little bit close to me and I want to switch out to the, the shotgun. Yeah. The weapon change animation is like four or five seconds. Yeah, and I don't know if it's like like trying to like so like um make the weight of shooting weapons quite intensive because obviously if you're in quite heavy gun combat, especially on high difficulties, it's very intense. But it just really it just, it just feels janky and it just yeah. feels. Did you have one of the four weapon aspects that you lean towards using the most? Uh, sniper rifle. Yeah, because it was just, it was just overpowered. And it was the best. And actually, in all fairness, like uh, as a vanguard, I'm pretty sure my priorities are sniper rifle and pistols. Yeah, uh, the pistol is like quite. Is, is quite useful which I yeah. don't find with these sort of games to be quite a big thing normally the pistol is something you use in like the opening half hour of the game and yeah. you never use again exactly right? yeah the pistol is something you always use, use in the afterthought if I've run out of anime for something else I can always yeah, rely yeah. on my sidearm um, but then they actually made um, quite good use of uh, the the weapons um, in, in general like giving them like actually like feeling like, sort of, like weight I think obviously the sniper rifle and the pistol do stand out depending on class yeah, even yeah. if you're going for something like soldier the you know the, it doesn't feel like there's too much variation between the assault rifle and the shotgun yeah um i, I do i do really enjoy also like an overheat system rather than an ammo system which yeah, unfortunately not to disappoint you is thrown out and is it uh, really Mass Effect 2, yeah it goes to ammo really yeah I, i'm surprised by that but it may again like you know like it, honestly like again like uh it does balance it out a bit differently but that's a conversation for mass effect 2 rather than obviously yeah. mass effect 1 yeah yeah no i totally agree with you uh without because again this is an rpg and i know that i'm relating it to titles that aren't really relevant but when i think about for example um modern warfare which was released in the same year what i would really like to see is say for example before you deploy on eden prime for your first mission when you're still aboard the ssv normandy although it's a bit cliche i would have loved a section where commander anderson is like hey shepherd before you deploy do you want to have a go on the shooting range or you know something that gives you an opportunity to experiment with a weaponry uh, maybe there are some mods available you can put them on see how they feel on the guns because a lot of the time applying mods or upgrades to your gun is just fucking guesswork oh yeah definitely it's what i mean it's, 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 it's how the game handles tutorials in general is just bad and obviously you know like uh, especially with these more in-depth kind of games we do need some kind of guidance we're not looking yeah. at like so like Mega Man x or super metroid where we we press buttons and we we get 
instant results and we can think, right, cool, right, cool. If I hold down the button, we can get a charge shot, for example. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. No, I, I mean, especially in Prime, I think it's probably one of the worst tutorials I've ever really played. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think it's very good. And yeah, you know, it would benefit from something like a string range and literally just like holding my hand for like two more seconds to say, all right, hi, cool. These are how the game, this is how the game does work. That's it. And this is how, this, this is how you'll go forward with it. I, well, I mean, we haven't really like talked about it too much about your sort of, like your squad mates and how they're um, they do have a lot of variety. Did you find that you stuck around with certain squad mates more, or did you find you were quite interchangeable and you kept on changing up your squad? Yeah, um, I to be completely frank with you, um, the the utility of the squad because of the poor AI essentially to me was damage sponges, uh, yeah. and so I I picked my squad based on who I thought looked the coolest and who had the best dialogue. So you had Garrus, right? <laughs> uh, my squad at the minute is the Krogan um, Rex, Rex uh, who I, I really like because he just wants to fuck everything up all the yeah. time and uh, I've forgotten her bloody name now um, Liara? Liara 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 and Rex um, who, who seem to get on like a house on fire as well. oh yeah definitely I mean, Garrus like, um, is the Turian space copper right? yeah yeah he yeah, he, uh, he left um, Citadel security because he wasn't he wasn't up there anymore after he just fucking like one shots yeah. that guy in the middle so for, for the clarification you do have a few people at your um, disposal you do have Ashley who is an alliance soldier you have Caden who is a biotic you also have people like Liara who is a bit of a balance of biotic yeah, the and attack other human male technician uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's Caden. Oh, is it Caden? Right, that's yeah, okay. Caden. Yeah, you also have Tally. Again, I already mentioned Rex, Garrus. Um, they, they they do. I mean, I did find myself cycling through squad members quite a lot. If I did say there wasn't a priority, I probably I didn't use Caden a lot. Um, because I mean, again, like maybe it's because I'm not a big fan of his character in general, how he's written. Uh, but it's also because I don't really feel like he's necessarily for combat. Because as a vanguard already, he he would basically just push for biotic strength. I want to go for like quite a balanced team. So my team usually consisted of uh, either me, Garrus, and Liara, or me, Garrus, and Tali. Yeah. This is a, a point which is certainly related to, to upgrades and mods, but may have well fitted more under exploration. But nonetheless, uh, we talked earlier about, you know, when you discover ruins or you discover a new location, it's full of crates. Mm. <laughs> what I thought was a really laugh of a laugh we thought as a feature was decrypting crates. Uh, right. You oh, know, the, the mini game. You know, and you just have to press like triangle square circle. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. And that's it. And like, and like, it literally, it goes in like varying difficulties and it has like one more button press. Yeah, and, it, and, they're, and they're all generalized under the same thing decryption and electronics are like different things yeah, they yeah. do say they're different things they're different stats but it's the same mini game and it yeah, looks yeah. exactly the same when it drops it, it down it is yeah and I, I yeah. love the idea that and it's like... not hard no it's not at all I mate. never failed it's one not hard and I don't understand like, I, you don't get any punishment for failing you just do it again yeah exactly um, but I, I like the idea that there's like hyper advanced civilization we're like right sir I've uh, I've locked away all the weaponry thank you have you have you, have you hidden it securely uh, yeah. I've hidden it behind a triangle a square and a circle oh, uh, no, no cool. one can possibly uh, break into this I'm Commander Shepard <laughs> <laughs> these no. dastardly humans yeah, definitely um, but yeah uh, that that was I also have a problem of when you're working your way through an area and I decrypt a crate I don't fucking know if an upgrade's worth taking or not. Well, I always take it as verbatim anyway because I can sell it for more credits, but I never sell anything because the end game currency just doesn't really matter. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's just fucking pointless. I think, um, I mean, again, like, you know, like, I mean, like, so like trying to round it off a little bit, uh, the combat in the game, there, it does leave a lot to be decided and there's a lot to improve on. Again, like, when they were developing this game, they made the technology so they could, like, basically, like, make development time shorter for the rest of the games and they have, and and at least they give themselves, like, a springboard to jump off of um it does improve um but i do think there there is 
definitely a problem with trying to balance all of these aspects of Mass Effect in general. And then third-person combat. Yeah, oh, I just, I don't know. Like, we were, we were living in an age of what, as well at that point where, like, third-person cover-based um, combat was just so prevalent in basically every yeah. game. And we haven't even talked about the, co- the cover-based combat because there's not much to talk about because I don't think it's good. Let's, let's, you're on about rounding this section off. Let's round off. What, 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 you lead me into your thoughts on that. Oh, fucking hell. For context, I was at work last night um, and, and in, in the future, it will be several nights ago. But Harry sent me a picture of Shepard in cover with a voice message that sounded something along the lines of "You're not in cover. You are so obviously being. You are so obviously in the line of sight, and you will get hit. And I'm sure you got hit constantly, constantly. And he also. So th- there are so many points of criticism that I have for this. Um, for the cover system. I don't think it was necessary at all. No. Very early on in the game, I just manually crouched behind cover and would peek myself yeah. um, for several reasons. One, what the game decides is something that you can snap to cover on and not is completely fucking random. Like, sometimes you see, like, a chest-high wall and you're like, I'm going to go and take cover over there. Then you walk over to it and Shepard just stands and stares at the wall. Like, I don't know what I'm meant to do now. Yeah. But then at other times you're walking, like, you're walking down a, a staircase in the middle of a firefight and Snepper just snaps, snaps to cover on, like, the corner of a staircase. You know, what the fuck are you doing? What are you it's doing? It's so weird as well. Like, I don't know what it is, but, like, literally, like, it's, it, that, that motion, just all I can think about is just this, like, just, just this... Yeah. <laughs> it's a loud slap and it's uh, and it, it really yanks you out the combat because it's quite a long animation as well right when he just randomly squats on like a wall and yeah. the, like you were saying that picture I sent you yesterday um, often on walls it don't provide any fucking cover no and also like, I mean like hitboxes in general for that point like literally they become basically pointless because even though you're in cover you're always going to get hit there is that you're always going to get hit in cover like yeah, somebody's yeah. going to hurt you uh, I mean they do improve upon it again like, I don't want to talk about too much about Mass Effect 2 but they do improve upon it they actually have like a button to snap to cover good um, which is either again like depending on how you play these games it's either a good thing or a bad thing but the cover based shooting in uh, Mass Effect 2 and to a lesser extent 3 uh, is a lot better than it is in Mass Effect 1 but again we're talking about Mass Effect 1 and uh, we're still learning and it's bloody obvious yeah that it really is um, final point of criticism that I will have for the combat before we move on to discussing other stuff is there are some instances when you engage vehicles or you engage enemies such as Geth rocket troopers um, oh God. when the game decides splash damage is applicable and when it's not seems to make no fucking sense because um, sometimes yeah. you're like crouched you see a rocket trooper and you're like oh, I'm going to take cover there and then it fires a rocket like near you and you die and then the music's like yeah and you're like what the fuck and then other times like I say you're crouched behind like an aluminium staircase that just deflects a rocket and you're like wh- wh- when does splash damage apply yeah no decision. it's stupid um, I, I, although I won't lie to you like for some reason we, we will talk about the audio and visuals in a second uh, but like the, the game over music for Mass Effect is like quite I don't know I can't find quite soothing um, there were times where I was literally like looking in one direction and shooting and like like purely making um, absolute pulp out of my enemies and then a Geth Destroyer would hit me and then I'd get hit with a duh, duh, duh. <laughs> I'd be like what the fuck where did that come from it was literally I'd see it and it would go like sort of like quite far to the side to me and literally I'd yeah, see yeah. him like you know the rag doll just you yeah, know like yeah, yeah, the yeah. arm up here uh, like above your head the arm down there and literally like your knee being behind your <laughs> fucking spine and you're like oh cool I died yeah cool that, that felt fair that's, that, that's part of what like fucks up the immersion for me because the Getha this species that everyone is really terrified of they're a synthetic robot species they're controlled by like a hive mind 
Then when you get in any combat with them, you immediately lose all fear of them. Because you're like, how the fuck did you guys ever conquer anything? Like, these guys are running on, like, Windows 97. <laughs> they are... <laughs> they just stand yeah. there. They are not threatening. They sound like prawn crackers in soy sauce. Yeah. They're, they're, like, they're, 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 they're literally just like... <laughs> 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 and they, they often just stand there, uh, often at times completely unperturbed by the fact that I'm firing a sniper rifle into their head. Yeah. Um, there's something called the Geth Sniper, um, which is a... The a, most a, useless... A, Apparently suffering from degenerative Alzheimer's <laughs> uh, because they fire a shot and then they take like half an hour to. I would often yeah. just dodge the first shot and then just walk towards them. They get uh, back and cover. Oh my god, I can't believe I did it! <laughs> and you literally and you're there like with the, and you're there like it's like I've had enough of you. Yeah. <laughs> and the, once you spotted an enemy, the UI often highlights them with like a little red marker. Yeah. Uh, and so quite often there would be like a Geth crouched behind a wall and you would just walk up to it and just wait. Yeah. I literally just be stood there with my shotgun. I'm like, come on. Pop your head up. Yeah, oh, come there on. you are, bang. There you are, easy. And the way they snap out of um, out of that sort of uh, water-to-water animation yeah, is yeah. so fucking quick. Um, it's just so... I don't know what it is about it as well. Like maybe it's something to talk about that they, they combat all like, the animation you, in general. When we, talking about the, when we were talking about the squad combat, did you give a shit when your squad was downed in the middle of combat? I tried to revive them because I, I was on veteran difficulty and okay. it actually like, proved to be a little bit more useful. Um, but, like, honestly, like, they weren't doing the job. They also, I don't know if you realize this, but if you don't revive them, you can often just start dialogue options with them anyway. So they're laying like face down, dead on the floor, and you can just walk in and be like, hey, Rex. <laughs> and just start talking. They're like, hey, sorry. And then they just get up and you're like, come on, dude. Yeah, uh, to- you see, I was doing that one actually. Yeah, when in my first play, I was killed Rex. I was like, Rex. <laughs> Rex, come on. Get up. Rex. Excellent. I think we should uh, probably run off combat by saying there's a lot to be desired and there is a lot to be improved upon, but there is still some fun to be had because obviously there is there is a complete sort of god mode when it applies to certain parts of the game. There is, and uh, we're going to round up this off now and move on to our next section in which Will is going to talk to you uh, about the audio in the game. Death closes all, but something ere the end, some work of noble note may yet be done. Not unbecoming men that strove with gods. We'll get home again, Shepard. I believe you'll lead us through. Oh, Captain. My Captain. So, uh, the soundtrack to Mass Effect was composed by Jack Wall and Sam Hulick, with additional music by Richard Jocks and David Cates. Being heavily inspired by sci-fi epics like Blade Runner and Dune, the score combines elements of orchestral pieces with electronic music that sounds like it's from the 80s. You will more than likely hear more of the ambient synth music than anything else in the game, and I think like uh, that probably does... I mean, I'll, I'll talk about that a bit more in a, in a second. But I do think it's worth noting that most of the composers for the Mass Effect series do return for Mass Effect 2, and I think there is, again, like I mean, from, from a personal experience and for somebody who like really enjoys just like video games out in general and music in general there is only one of the composers that returns for mass effects 3 which combines and that you know, sort of overarchs the whole trilogy and that's sam hulick the song there is a, there is a sort of like a what can i can only describe that has been tentatively called butt rock the song that plays over the final credits m4 part 2 was written by fawns which i'm sure i'm probably mispronouncing now they're a band from edmonton alberta which is where Mass Effect was developed at Bioware's main studio, um, so it's sort of like a home band, I guess. Honestly, it's in stark contrast to literally 
all of the music in the game comes out of nowhere and you just sort of sat there like jamming to a credit after like what is about a if you're going through the main story a 15 hour campaign and you're sort of like, a bit like, okay, this is kind of weird. <laughs> it, it, it sort of devolves, I mean, like, for a guy who, like, really enjoys, like, the dumb vocal songs in Sonic the Hedgehog games, uh, I felt quite at home, but I was like, yeah. I'm playing a very, you know, I'm playing Mass Effect, you know, like, uh, I, I have the option to kiss a boy or I have to kiss a girl. <laughs> uh, and literally the song's like, when I'm down in the, down in the street, making, making friends with spooky aliens. <laughs> um, uh, and the music in Mass Effect, I've already, t- I, I've talked about soundtracks quite a lot in our, um, in our podcasts and how I usually praise them quite highly and this is one where I just don't think it's that good there is uh, there is dependence on synthonic music which I think is wonderful because I, I love he- I love heavily synth music but like there is no depth to it I don't really think there's anything amazing there are a few sort of like standout pieces of music like for example like when you're looking at the exploration map one of the only benefits of it is that you get this really nice pleasant um ambient theme of these like sort of like strings on piano it sounds like strings on since being plucked or like pianos i should say um and again like just the main menu theme again there's probably some nostalgia playing yeah. into this but like whenever i sort of press a button uh i feel like i'm at home other uh, there's it's all like it's just 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 boom that's it mm-hmm. and like uh again like it's, it's, it's instant gratification lovely um, sound design in the whole game in general it, it's quite good everything sounds like a laser and it sounds like it should yeah, be from was, a sci-fi game I was about to say I mean, if you look game. at the, the four weapon types which is what the majority of the sound that you're going to hear yeah. which is your weapon firing they're all variations of pew pew laser weapon right yeah but they do do they do still feel individual which yeah. is I mean I do think it's quite kind of hard to pull off and like the sniper rifle in particular just sounds really good it does I've got I've got actually got to completely agree with you on that um, as for all the criticism that I got of the gunplay, that actual uh, sound, which almost makes you feel the recoil of the sniper rifle, is really satisfying. Yeah, I do feel again, like you know, as I mentioned before, I do feel like um, the the soundtrack is is, is quite hit and miss. Mm. Um, nothing in particular in the soundtrack sticks out. It's all just there for ambience and all that sort of stuff. I mean, like uh, again, we we unfortunately, I, I feel like I'm now thinking about this too much now but when we talked about the Warthog with Mako earlier it actually got me thinking about stuff like the Halo soundtrack Mm. which I actually own on disc because I'm a sad little fuck (laughs) but like you know like stuff in there like feels like you know for a sci-fi game as well like it it all feels in place and it pushes forward these very um, these very like prolific themes I mean like Halo has a very certain theme it's the fucking Mm. Um, and if you ask me if you ask me what the theme of Mass Effect was I couldn't tell you I could tell you I could tell you the theme of Last of Us Mm. I could tell you the theme of funny enough any of the Sonic games <laughs> I could tell you I, I could tell you know like uh, when I think about Paul I think about the you know the, the vocal versions mm. when I think about God of War I think about Bear McCreary's bombastic yeah, yeah, yeah. soundtrack which is something that we touched a lot on I know and I, I, I generally again like just more power to him because like again it is it, bloody phenomenal yeah um, and even then like um, you know I don't know if this is a spoiler at all but we will be uh, talking about Doom eventually and I, I and I can tell you that for about 10 minutes I'm just going to suck Mick Gordon's dick because I mean like I mean like, again you know the guy just literally like throws wet ham at an oil drum and tunes it down to a point where it sounds fucking sick stop laughing stop laughing <laughs> but like, again like it's the problem with Mass Effect because like it doesn't feel like the music the music um, again like, there are times when the music kind of works but like the music itself doesn't have an identity and it feels when like I, what they've done is they've found music from like an audio library yeah no exactly yeah and again like um, you know there, there is obvious influence again from Blade Runner and like uh, the soundtrack of Blade Runner I, you know that I, I listen to it and I feel like this feels at home and then I look at Mass Effect and it feels like this has been ripped from something else mm. and there's too many parts in play and they've tried to do 
too little with too much mm. like it's it, 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 it's a shame because you know like again like music and games really obviously yeah it's you know it, it, i do feel like mm. in some points it contributes to player agency we mentioned as well like earlier we talked about um briefly telltale yeah and yeah. uh there's a point in one of the games where basically you have to fight for like a, it's a quick time event where you have to fight through a horde of zombies and it's like a violin and it feels at home mm. and that sort of stuff mass effects music doesn't really have much of an identity apart from just literally a guy like literally just like pressing down four keys on the keyboard and just going and I wouldn't be able to describe much variation in encounters where I no I know because, that I mean like a particularly intense encounter for example no because like there isn't really much I mean like and they don't make a point of making making I mean like you know there there are times where they really are trying to push for this sort of quite Hollywood blockbuster moment yeah, yeah. especially towards the end with uh with the fights with Saren and it feels like it should be important and it, you know like again like it's it it sort of sucks me out of the experience when I hear the music and it isn't it doesn't feel like it fits where it should be yeah yeah I mean especially like literally like right at the end I remember like they played some like music and it's like literally like about, I think it's like about a 30 second clip about you know if you get the Paragon and the Renegade ending I don't know if the va- music varies but I was like sort of sat there and I was, I was like oh cool oh, fine. it's just fucking boring yeah 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 and I feel like again like music, music and sound design in, in games is so so good and again the sound design of everything else in the game is quite good yeah the music is just sort of boring I mean I, you know um, again it's not really comparative but like you know I find myself like humming certain things for certain games mm. I mentioned The Last of Us I mean like you've been playing Hades recently how fucking good is the soundtrack in that oh game? my god yeah it's so good yeah, right? that, I mean everything fine. also the, the the sounds of the weapons the sounds of the various powers you employ it feels great yeah and, it, and you know, but it, it, it's sort of you know it, it, it matches what you're playing it matches what you're feeling when you're playing those games and you, you know like there are points where, they, where they're like there's a, there's a definite amp yeah in the music especially when you go for a boss fight um i couldn't tell you if there was a variant in boss fight themes in no i couldn't either i I, like i said i couldn't tell if they were particularly intense encounters it wasn't signified um one if you don't mind me no good please please uh i I would like to you may have noticed that an an area that has been conspicuously absent from our discussion so far has been visuals and graphics which is something that we have touched on in our previous podcast there are certainly reasons for that both myself and Will are part of the ilk of game critics uh, that aren't obsessed with photorealistic graphics, and we think that immersion or the quality of a game is not dictated by its graphics. Yeah. Also, the game is fundamentally a 2007 release, and I'm not too keen on sitting here and shitting on the rendering or the animations in a game. Which I too... think is very fair. Yeah, I- I'm not too keen on just shitting on the game because it was a 2007 release. There are actually some points of praise uh, that I think we can make. Yeah. Um, just don't get me wrong. Some of the animations are janky. The facial animation leaves a little bit to be desired. However, it's really apparent uh, throughout the game with when you look at, say, for example, the Citadel, the different races, the spaceships, their visual style was clearly considered. There's consistent visual themes throughout the races that represent the various aspects uh, of their culture. There's consistent themes in the vehicles and the weaponry, arguably at times a little dull, but nonetheless interesting. Um, And even though I think comparative to some other 2007 releases, the graphics are somewhat lacking. um, The fact that there is a clear artistic style which has been kept to certainly adds value to the game. I think um, you know, like after Mass Effect as well, we can look at quite a few games. I mean, like um, so, like Red Faction and Red Faction um, Armageddon, for example, on the Xbox 360 and the PS3, respectively. Um, we can, you know, there is there is some there is some sort of influence in the sci-fi 
part of it. Weapons you saw that I touched on, like I do think there is a clear difference between like different weapons. Obviously, like not too much, but like enough. I I really enjoy how Mass Effect looks. It's very sleek. It's very yeah. clean. Nothing feels especially so like dirty, I guess, in a way, unless it's actually meant to. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. especially when you go into these like un- these untried planets and things, as I saw clear. We were talking about environmental design earlier as well, where I feel like I feel like the environments are varied enough to a visual ex- uh, to a visual point where it can distract me enough from the fact that it's incredibly linear as a game but like i there's a there's a playful joke with jj abrams where he uses too much lens flare and everything um if there is a gauge for how much lens flare is an appropriate amount it's mass effect yeah i agree with you i never felt overwhelmed by it Mm. sovereign was only a vanguard the reaper fleet is still coming hundreds of ships maybe thousands and i'm gonna find some way to stop them Shepard's right. Humanity is ready to do its part. United with the rest of the Council, we have the strength to overcome any challenge. When the Reapers come, we must stand side by side. We must fight against them as one. And together, we will drive them back into dark space. What we're going to do now, because we're very conscious that you, the loyal listener, has been listening to us ramble about gaming for over an hour now, uh, as you do month in, month out, we're going to try now to summarise our experiences of Mass Effect in 60 seconds each. And I do have a stopwatch available You have a stopwatch. You have a stopwatch available That's not fair. So, um, what we're going to do, Will, you're going to go first. Okay. I'm going to start 60 seconds, and I would like you to give me a summary of your enjoyment or not with Mass Effect beginning in 3, 2, 1 so Mass Effect it is a game I think you should play I think it's worth it and especially from like at least player agency um, and like player choice implementations and stories I think it's a gold standard and I think we have we can can see the influence of this story in particular and its choices throughout a lot of games after it I do think there is a lot of jank it's from 2008 it's to be expected combat isn't perfect uh, the music isn't perfect. There's a lot on this game that isn't perfect, but I do think if there's anything in particular with this game, uh, the story and just the idea of being in this universe and this grand scheme of things as well, bearing in mind the future trilogy we would experience, I think Mass Effect is an essential player. And especially right now, you know, especially on the PS4 and Xbox, uh, Xbox One, uh, you know, it's like 35 quid for the whole trilogy. It's worth your time. And especially for a visual standpoint, um, it stands out. And again, maybe I'm just nostalgic for it, but it's a game that I think about enough that I can say that I, I think I'll always enjoy. Well done. That was very concise and kept to a minute. I All agree. Right, cool. Give me two seconds because I'm going to get my stopwatch. And it, I mean, <laughs> yours doesn't scream. Mine will. Okay, cool. So we're going for a nice sixty seconds on the clock, Harry, and I'll tell you you're starting in three, two, one. My 60 seconds here is going to differ from Will's, in which I'm going to answer a fundamental question. If you want to experience the Mass Effect trilogy in the form of the Legendary Edition, do you need to play Mass Effect 1? I'm going to answer by saying no. Is it worth playing as an experience if you are someone who appreciates gaming and can appreciate a game that was released in 2007? Certainly. And there are parts of it that are enjoyable, there are parts of it that are immersive, and there are plenty of parts of it that fucking aren't. The overall experience of the game, for me, became a positive one the more that I played it. Mass Effect was not a series that I had engaged with when I was younger, and Mass Effect 1, I feel, has given me a platform to engage with them. But is it a necessity? No. 
will you gain as much value from watching a let's play through of Mass Effect or watching a story summary and then moving on to some of the more recently produced games? I think you could get away with it. So as my closing statement, is Mass Effect a trilogy worth engaging with? Yes. Do you need to play Mass Effect 1? No. Very concise. I know we obviously gave ourselves 60 seconds there and it's uh, it's it, it's hard to gauge an entire game in that respect. I do think, uh, as a sidebar as well, like because uh, I mean, I got through the main campaign about 15 hours. It's quite a light, cons- considerably, for an RPG, especially with... Definitely. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, I again, like I, I understand every criticism you sort of made. And I think this is probably one of the more divisive games that we've covered and i know we agreed on a lot of things but i think you know i know that you you know i mean you don't really hold as much nostalgic value for it as i do yeah uh, and i i really enjoy this game and i but the thing is as well i understand exactly why you haven't yeah, yeah. enjoyed it as much as certain certain games um yeah no i you know i <laughs> i i understand why i understand why you've you've sort of like said that, you know it's not essential yeah As we draw our evening to a close, both myself and Will always conclude these episodes with an incredibly cliche section where we thank you for listening. When I say thank you for listening, we genuinely mean it. Thank you so much if you've made it through this entire episode, if you only made it through parts of the episode. One of the aspects of this that's really enjoyable for me and Will is it's one night a month where we both get to completely book our calendars off, have a few drinks and talk shit about gaming, which frankly between both of us working relatively busy full-time jobs something that we don't get the opportunity to do much so if you've made it this far thank you and thank you for letting us gab about these you know these games in particular that we enjoy and i would also encourage if you if you're at the end of this podcast if you have anything you would like us to play in the next sort of season of not the princes uh we are more than welcome to accept contrib- you know contributions of uh, and recommendations of games we should play um and i would like to just say one more shout out to wkd uh love island edition it's fucking tasty. <laughs> I've got a little bit of it left, and I'm, I'm probably going to finish the episode by chugging the rest. <laughs> and as Will chugs down his Love Island pink gin, as usual, please continue to engage with us on all forms of social media. You can get us on Instagram at NotThePrinces. You can catch us on email. Will has just successfully chugged the WKD. Oh, you can- oh it's so sweet. <laughs> oh. You can catch us on email at notheprinces at gmail.com and you can also catch us doing a guest appearance on Tour Order's Side Order radio show on Thursday the 19th. There'll be more details for that posted on our social media shortly. But as I draw the evening to a close, good night and thank you. Harry, you're my favourite citizen on the Citadel. (laughs) And three, two, one, stop. Stop.